Welcome to Faith. My name is Laura. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Whether you're joining us online or here in person, we are so glad you are here today. So thank you for joining us in this series that we've been working through this summer called Who Says? Or Says Who? Says Who? <laughs> where I don't know who says or says who, right? Uh, where we've taken a look at um, various genres throughout the Bible, and we've discussed how to read them for better understanding. Because it's one thing to pick up the Bible and read it all the way through, but it's a completely different thing to understand the difference between books of poetry, history, letters, or books referencing the end times. If we read the Bible as one giant book, we're going to walk away with a really confused and skewed perspective on God's word, and that can be detrimental to our faith. So we thought it important to take the time to actually look at this wonderful thing and truly dive into understanding what its authors are trying to convey to their readers. But before we begin, let's take a moment and pray. Father God, we um, thank you for this space and this time to gather together in your name. God, help us to bring whatever it is that's on our hearts to you, whether it's celebrating, whether it's praising that we're here in recovery from health issues. God, whether it's we have burdens on our hearts, whatever it is, help us to lay them at your feet today, that our hearts be open to hearing what it is we need to hear God, we ask for special um, blessings on those who are at home recovering from surgeries and illnesses. We celebrate those who have had health issues and are here with us this morning. And God, we ask for your hand of blessing on our students, college, high school, middle school, elementary, all students getting ready to go back to school this week and in coming weeks. We ask for your blessing as they navigate life socially, academically, emotionally and spiritually, God. May you be in front of them, guiding them, guarding them, and protecting them. Be with their families and help them to know your love throughout their school year. And God, just bless whatever words are brought to us today, to our ears and to our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, for those of you that don't know me, I was a teacher before I got this role. So in true teacher form, I'm going to start out this morning with a pop quiz. Are you ready? <laughs> I was a high school teacher. Love pop quiz day, right? So I'm going to start out with a little quiz. I'm going to give you a sentence. There's going to be a phrase missing in the sentence. I want you to fill in the blanks. Are you ready? Oh, don't be nervous. It's okay. I promise it's not that hard. So if I said to you at the 11th blank, nice to fall by the, nice, the prodigal blank returns. Good. Being a good, you guys are so good. Eat, drink, and be salt of the, many are called, but few are, and judge not, lest thee be, awesome. Nice. I feel like you got 100%. A big star for all of you, right? <laughs> so how many times in your lives have you actually used these expressions yourself? How often have you heard them used in literature or poetry or everyday conversation? I know for me, some of my favorite bands, Dave Matthews Band and CCR, use some of these expressions themselves. 
In fact, today's expressions, these particular ones, I've pulled from the parables of Jesus' teaching straight out of the Bible, which is the genre we're going to look at today, the parables. And what we're going to do is we're going to examine why they're important for us and why we need to spend time discussing them. Some of you might be sitting there wondering why. Aren't they just short little stories that Jesus told to make a point? And some of you might actually be thinking that they're simple and to the point, and we don't really need to spend a lot of time on them. But I would argue two things. First of all, some of them are not that straightforward and to the point. And the second reason that we need to spend time discussing them today is because through the years, many teachers, scholars, preachers, people have misinterpreted them, used them incorrectly, or even abused them in their teachings. And so it's important that we look at them to understand what we're looking at and how to get them right. In their book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, authors Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart use the example of Augustine's breakdown of the Good Samaritan as an example of how parables can be misinterpreted. Here's what Augustine, one of the most brilliant scholars of church history, has to say about the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the parable of the Good Samaritan starts out, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well, Augustine says clearly that man is Adam. The parable goes on to say Jerusalem. Augustine says that represents the heavenly city of peace from which Adam fell. He goes on to say that Jericho represents the moon and therefore signifies Adam's mortality. You get the point. He goes on and on. Robbers mean the devil and his angels stripped him of his immortality, beat him by persuading him to sin, leaving him half dead. And Augustine argues this is as a man he lives, but he died spiritually. Therefore, he is half dead. By the way, the parable does not say that anywhere. He goes on to say that the Samaritan is said to mean the guardian. He's bandaged in his wounds, which clearly is binding us of restraint of sin. Oil stands for comfort and hope. Wine is the exhortation to work with a fervent spirit. The donkey is the flesh of Christ's incarnation. The inn represents the church. The next day represents after the resurrection. My personal favorite, the innkeeper in the story of the Good Samaritan, according to Augustine, clearly represents Paul. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, what Augustine did was read way deeper into the parable than what Luke actually wrote, thus creating an intriguing and very interesting summary of the parable of the Good Samaritan, but it's not what Jesus intended when he spoke these words. This method of interpreting that Augustine did some 1900 years ago is still common today, and it can be dangerous and detrimental to our studies when we're looking in parables. And that's why we need to take a look and understand that while this is an interesting summary, it's not Jesus's words in Luke chapter 10. So when we're looking at parables and we read so deeply into them as Augustine did and others have done after him, we're left to our own devices and our own moral compass, which is exactly what this series is trying to help us avoid when studying the Bible. 
And so in order to help us look at the parables and understand what's going on, I've set up four questions for us to consider while we have this discussion today. First of all, when looking at parables, we need to understand what's a parable. We need to define it and truly understand what it means. We need to understand why should we read them, and not only why we should read them, but why Jesus taught this way. The third thing we need to consider when looking at parables is who are parables for? Who is the intended audience? Because context is so important when reading scripture. And fourth and finally, we're going to look at what happens when we read parables. What do we actually learn? So let's take a look at question number one. What is a parable? Now, I think in order to understand the importance of parables and why we should read them, a good starting point is actually to define what a parable is. So the dictionary definition of the word parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. Another way to define it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The actual word parable comes from a compound word in Greek. One word, balo, means to throw, and the second word, para, which is a preposition that means alongside of. So the idea of a parable is that Jesus took an everyday occurrence that first century listeners would have been familiar with, and he would throw it alongside a concept about the kingdom of God in the hopes that everyone would hear the truth about God. When considering what a parable is, it's also important to look at the Hebrew word for parable, which is mashal, which means riddle or puzzle. A parable was meant for the listener to hear it, to think about it, and then respond to it. And sometimes the listener would hear it, and it would be an immediate response. Sometimes it might have taken days or weeks for the listener to fully understand, hence where we come in with the meaning puzzle or riddle. This is why interpreting parables can be really problematic. It's kind of like a joke. If I tell you a joke, and then I go on to explain the joke to you, and then I go on to explain how funny I am after the joke, right, girls? So I do that in my house all the time. <laughs> I'm looking at my daughters. I'm the funniest person I know, right, girls? The joke loses its funniness because not only did I have to explain it to you, but then I had to remind you of how funny I was. A parable is similar. Oftentimes, when we need to explain the parable, the meaning is lost on us. As it is defined as a story that Jesus told, it's also meant to elicit a response and action to those who heard and understood it. So if explanation is needed, then perhaps the parable isn't resonating with the person who is hearing it, thus creating the complexity of parables. So we've defined a parable, but now we need to look at why should we read the parables. And I've kind of made this a two-parter, two why we need to read them and why Jesus used this form of teaching. So to begin with, why should we read them? Well, first of all, one-third of Jesus' teachings are recorded in texts in parabolic form. That's a pretty significant amount of his teaching, and so it's important that we understand and read them. 
Now, most scholars would argue there are somewhere between 30 to 40 parables recorded for us in Jesus' teachings. And as the parables are relatable, they are charming, sometimes easy to understand, and convey a message that we can apply to our lives. The reality is, we like stories. I mean, think about some of your favorite stories that you heard growing up. The Three Little Pigs, Cinderella, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. They're stories that we related to, that we could hear and resonate with, and we still remember them today. Jesus told stories. And in fact, Jesus' parables are the mo among the most read and loved sections of the Bible. They're filled with vivid, vivid images and touch the readers in powerful ways. They've been an important source of wisdom, instruction, and solace for Christians everywhere. And people love stories then as they do now. And we respond to stories. We feel the feels of a good story. And if told well, we feel the feels all the more. Stories leave us with a desire to change and to respond. Parables are stories that Jesus told that he wants us to respond to. I mean, let's be honest. If I stood up here and just gave you a whole bunch of facts or read the Dow Jones report and how stocks are going up and stocks are going down, we may not have much of a response to that. Unless you're retiring and your stocks are soaring high, you might be excited about that. Or vice versa, you're retiring and they're tanking. You might clap your hands or cry or get some response. But the reality is Jesus told stories in the hopes that his listeners would respond because they were relatable. Jesus, told to use, Jesus chose to use teaching parables because it was simpler for people to understand stories about familiar situations than the afterlife and judgment of God. So even so, the meanings of parables could be difficult to understand, even leaving us to scratch our heads and wonder what Jesus meant when teaching in parable form. We should take comfort that it is written a few times his own disciples were confused at the teaching of his parables. But it is important for us to look at them. This was his main method of teaching. The second part of this question is why did he use this form of teaching? Jesus' teachings concern the coming of the kingdom of God. And so in teaching to a first century Jew, they would have had the context of the Old Testament teachings. The kingdom of God was coming. So in ancient Jerusalem, this meant two things. The first was that God's reign of all, as all around and all over the earth would have been very important to his audience that he was teaching to. It meant that God's kingdom had no boundaries. And his audience would have been familiar with the Psalms where it's written, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. His audience would have been familiar with those words. Secondly, while God is king, it is written that he will establish his new kingdom on earth. And Jesus came to tell that message. His teaching acknowledges both of these sides. God as sovereign authority over his people and that he is coming. 
So Jesus has taught not only his disciples, but his listeners this, what it's recorded in Luke, that even so, when you see these ha things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. In his book, Four Portraits, One Jesus, Mark L. Strauss says, Jesus spoke in parables to reveal and to conceal. To those responsive to his kingdom message, the parables illuminate the meaning of the kingdom. But to those who, because of their hard-heartedness, reject the message, the parables hide the truth. Taking into these two considerations, why should we read them and why did Jesus teach in this way? We need to look at the audience to whom he was speaking. Which brings us to question number three. Who are Jesus' parables for? Because the parables challenge us to do something, it's important for us to identify the audience. So according to New Testament scholar Klein Snodgrass, when you're looking at straight up who the audience is, he says, parables are narratives of normalcy. According, uh, parables of normalcy, meaning they focus on first century Palestinian human life as farmers, shepherds, servants and masters, women, fathers and sons, and occasionally kings. While they may draw on everyday life, they're not actually actual events that have taken place. They're not historical events. They are addressed to a specific context in the ministry of Jesus. The second contextual piece of to whom they are written is Jesus' parables are intended for those who are willing and believing of the truth versus those who were not. Parables were meant to illustrate and explain the truth to people who listen with faithful hearts. If it seems as if the parables are devoid of meaning and interpretation, it is because to truly understand them, one must have faith and believe that what are, what the words that are spoken are true. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Jesus' parables speak the wisdom of God, of, or, of an ordained God before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what, when we read a parable, what can we learn? Well, each parable offers a main theme. Of course, there are subsets of themes that come along with various ones. We could stand up here for days and speak of the kindness and mercy, grace, justice, discipleship, and so many other themes found within parables. But for the interest of time, I just want to focus on three important things that we can get from reading the parables of Jesus. Number one, when reading parables, we learn about the gospel. Parables were designed to make us think. When we truly understand the gospel, we are transformed. By reading parables and asking questions to understand and knowing the intended audiences of the parables, we are seeking to fully understand and allow the teachings of Jesus to fully transform us. Jesus' main message throughout the parables was the arrival of the kingdom of God to 
the world. That's the good news of the gospel message. Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection bear witness to the reality and the power of this kingdom. The parables bear witness to the coming of the kingdom. It's important when reading scripture, not only parables, but other passages of scripture as well, to read what's leading up to the focus intended passage. So today, while we are going to look at Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29, the parable of the wise and foolish builders, we need to understand what's going on in chapters 5 and 6 first. This helps us understand what Matthew has recorded in Jesus' longest message in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. And when delivering this message, Jesus is instructing his audience how to live their lives. In Matthew 5, he talks about subjects like prayer and justice, care for the needy, handling the religious law, fasting, judging others, salvation, and so much more. In chapter 6, he teaches us how to pray with the Lord's Prayer, along with other messages of how to live our lives. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to love our enemies and how to care for one another. It's basically kind of our how to live as a follower of Jesus. And when he concludes his sermon, he finishes with the story of two builders. And it goes like this, as recorded in the book of Matthew. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. So, in Palestine, this message would have been relatable, as Palestine is located in a hilly and mountain er mountainous area. And when it rains, often violent thunderstorms hit this region, thus creating sudden flooding from the Jordan River. A wise builder would not be fooled by the surface conditions. He would have dug down, sometimes 10 feet below the surface, to hit bedrock to be sure that his foundation of his house was sturdy. So when the winter rains came and the Jordan River would flood, the house built on the sand surface would have an unstable foundation. But houses built on bedrock would have been able to stand the floods. Excavations from the 1970s have actually uncovered evidence of some such foundations built in antiquity. This audience to which Jesus spoke would have understand would have understood the surface meaning intended in the parable. They would have understood that that surface meaning was the foolish person who, choose, who chose to do the easy way, easy way out of things rather than the more difficult way of building on bedrock. Here is Jesus speaking to this very situation. One house is built on sand, while the other is built on a firm foundation. 
and sharing the story to his first century listeners, Jesus was conveying the message to his intended audience that God wants them to obey, to follow his word, to follow his commands, creating a firm foundation for their lives. Both people in the parable worked. Both built their homes. We don't need to read into it any more than what is written. But what this parable, as well as the others recorded in the gospel, tells us is that Jesus was teaching people about the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel. The second thing that we can learn when we read the parables of Jesus is that we learn faith in action. In the parable of the wise and foolish builder, as recorded in the book of Luke, Jesus asks his audience, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Or, as recorded in Matthew, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He's calling them out. Are you listening? Are you doing what I'm asking you to do? Jesus is saying that any disciple who respects me should do what I say. It's foolish to build a house without a foundation, just like it's unwise not to listen to me, is what Jesus says through this parable. He's extending an invitation to his audience to enter God's grace and to live in God's grace out in action by loving in a way that's different from the world around us. Parables are stories told by Jesus, but they're more than that. They're stories that when we hear the message, receive the message, we are then called to respond to that message, to follow Jesus and live our lives according to his teachings on a firm foundation built down to the bedrock, not on our own, built on the surface. And finally, when considering what do we learn when we read the teachings of Jesus found in the Gospels, we learn that Jesus is the Messiah. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus preaches in this parabolic form, and again and again, he states his authority. He states that he is the Savior who was sent by God to teach his disciples and his followers about the kingdom of God so that we may be saved. In the parable of the wise and foolish builders, Matthew concludes his writings by saying, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus' message, beginning with the Sermon on the Mount and ending with this parable, is teaching us and the intended first century audience, that in order to live a life following God and to be invited into the kingdom of heaven, one must lay down their lives and to live as God has called us to live. Jesus is saying we need to go deep. We need to go beyond the surface. We need to take the time to study, to ask questions, to learn, to read and read again, to build that foundation. In this parable and others, Jesus is saying, now hear me out. Yes, Pastor Mike is on vacation, but I'm sure he will listen, so I won't be in trouble for this. Hear me out. 
We have to go beyond the surface, which means we have to go beyond Sunday morning. It's not just about coming to church on Sundays or giving on Sundays or praying on Sundays. Jesus is saying in order to live in the kingdom of God, we have to go beyond the surface. We have to go to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's how we treat each other. It's how we build our homes that distinguishes us from others. His message taught in parables teach us that if we're open and we are ready for what God and the Holy Spirit want to do in our hearts through parables, Jesus will do what he can do and what he came to do. He'll be our teacher. He'll stretch our minds. He'll pierce our hearts. He'll transform us. Now, in reading the parables, this is what we learn when we read them. That God has sent a Savior to redeem us, to shape us in his teachings. And when we are open to hearing them, that's when we allow the gospel to transform us. Jesus challenged his disciples and his audience in the parables to examine themselves carefully so that they don't deceive themselves about the authenticity of their commitment to him. For someday they will be called to account for that faith. These powerful stories about the kingdom of God as taught by Jesus and the gospels are stories, but they are called to the faithful to hear them and to respond. In our reading, asking questions and working through them, we can see that God is calling us to live a life according to his ways. It's an open invitation, and it is our hope and our prayer that in reading them and in responding to them, that each of us here today can understand the grace and the love that is being extended to each and every one of us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the Gospels that have taught us um, Jesus' words and his message, his instructions for how to live our lives, God. We thank you for these recorded words. And while they're not historical accounts, God, we know that they are relevant and they are important for each and every one of us here in this room. God, wherever we are in our journey, whatever we are going through, help us to hear something today that helps us draw closer to you, that helps us ask the question or read it again or dig deeper to understand who your son is to us in our lives. And God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your words. In your precious name, we pray. Amen.